Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely, positively in the right place because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz on the street is today. I have a quote from a website, A.T. Kearney, K-E-A-R-N-E-Y dot C-Z. Found this interesting quote, and this will set us up very nicely for our topic today. Listen up. Few business applications have attracted as much management attention over the years as e RP systems. Now listen up. This is the really important part. And the line between fact and fiction or myth and best practice can be difficult to discern. So yes, we're talking about ERP today. So all of you put your business hats on. So let's give a little more background here. In IT, curiosity drives innovation. I love that. It came from my colleague Brad Borkin, who is on our show today. But some of this curiosity and this innovation, eh, it's just buzz, just techno buzz, just pie in the sky floating around there. Yes, yes, yes. It's myth. It's fiction. But some of it is actually important and essential to modern life and modern business. So new ERP and intelligent technologies and systems are promising breakthroughs, big-time breakthroughs. For organizations, whether your company is focused on finance or retail, manufacturing, consumer products, or healthcare, this is important to you. So the question on the table today is, how do you separate the fiction from the fact, the myth from the best practice. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, little show we started in October of 2011. This is now episode node number haha, 366, in case you're keeping count as I am. It's Wednesday, April 10th, 2019, and we're coming to you live from all over the world. Our topic today is ERP and beyond, from techno buzz to value-add solutions. Let me tell you who my three excellent panelists are. They're all experts on this topic, and we are going to learn together from them. In just a moment, I'll be introducing you to David Lowson. He spells his last name L-O-W-S-O-N. He's a vice president and head of the SAP Center of Excellence for Europe at Capgemini. Welcome to David. Joining him is his colleague, Alex Boulat. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Also Capgemini, he's the innovation lead for Europe. And as I mentioned, my colleague Brad Borkin at SAP is on the panel. He is the senior director for SAP Strategic Ecosystem Marketing. That's a long title, Brad. Okay, so welcome to our panelists, and let's get started. David Lawson has sent us a quote from, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Siputra, C-I-P-U-T-R-A. He's also known as several other words in Chinese that I can't pronounce, born in 1931. He's a Chinese-Indonesian businessman who owns Siputra Development, a property company, and the Siputra Group. He is one of the most successful entrepreneurs in Indonesia who has involved himself in developing an entrepreneurial culture in their society. And he is the 23rd richest Indonesian, according to Forbes, with his total net worth of $1.3 billion, with a B. Here is the quote David has selected from Saputra. A dream will not become an innovation if there is no realization. David Lawson, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for joining us. Talk to me about this quote. How did you find it? And, and tell me how it relates to our topic about myth and fact on ERP. Uh, it's quite 
personal to my own philosophy. I, um, from my colleague, Addy, who works with me, um, I have a lot of ideas. People come to me with lots of ideas. Um, a lot of them are very brilliant. Um, it's really turning those ideas into reality and realizing them. Executing that's a really hard thing. And um, there's so many people don't execute and have another idea rather than finishing off the one they've got. And I'm particularly fond of telling people you'll be judged on what you've actually done, what you've not, not, not what you thought of. I've probably had 10 ideas on the plane here today. And, uh, yeah, uh, it will be getting on and delivering them. It's a problem not just having ideas. Ideas come from all sorts of places. They're pretty easy to have. But uh, that's, that's a big challenge for me. I think that's the reason we are successful. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, dreaming is wonderful. And I guess, David, we could probably separate the people who sit there and say, I'm thinking about XYZ. I have an idea for ABC. And they never do anything about it. Do you think the world is populated mostly with people who, who of the people who have ideas? Do we have any idea of how many actually act on them and make them happen? Any, any thoughts from your personal and business observation? I think it's something you can learn. Um, to um, you know, it's it's very difficult to to take that first step, which is actually to do everything. The fear of failure, the feeling, the feeling that you might get something wrong, or you might judge get judged about something, overrides um, uh, the actual worry, <laughs> the, the the ability to succeed, succeed quite a lot. And uh, you know, I'm I'm not somebody who's going to criticise my team for for failing, uh, certainly the first time, and they fail, fail time and time again, especially the same thing, that's not great, but uh, I want them to have a go, I want them to learn, uh, it's the best way of finding out things, I've made some enormous mistakes in my life, uh, hopefully I've made those mistakes quickly and then moved on and done the right thing, um, I, I think it really is a learned behaviour rather than anything else, and I think it's people's heads and their fears that stop them from doing things rather than the ability to execute or sheer laziness, it's a, to worry about being judged and getting wrong, but bothersome. Thank you very much. And you know, there's a new mantra in the business world. It's, it's actually not that new, David, and it's fail fast, fail often. And I think that's what millennials are being taught. That's what kids in schools that feature the concept of design thinking are saying. Keep trying, right? David, I'm sure, sure you've yeah. heard this. Do you agree with that? Yeah, no, with design thinking is something I've really bought into. Uh, I think if you had... I don't know, a quarter of our team, if they could confidently run an idea, design thinking workshop, we would be in a far better place. And uh, really, what can go wrong in a fairly safe environment? If you practice, you'll get better at it. It has amazing benefits. Um, has some fantastic ideas. You have to suspend some of your previous things you thought about when you started. And once you do it um, and get used to it, has some really fantastic outcomes. Most of our strategy... Most of our plans and the really big sticky problems we get when we're working with customers to implement uh, software, we usually sort out with design thinking now. Uh, it's fantastic. It's really speeding things up. Um, all sorts of stuff, not just technology, but recruitment processes, everything. It's, we're thinking that way now. Thank you, David. I, I knew you and I were going to have a meeting of the minds on that one. Thank you so much. We're very, very happy and honored that you're joining us today. And now let's move on to your colleague, Alex Boulat at Capgemini. And Alex has also introduced me to a new source for quotes. The person he is quoting today is Safi Bakal. I will spell that name. And many of you might want to look this up. Safi is S-A-F-I. Bakal is B-A-H-C-A-L-L. Born in 1968, interesting Wikipedia does not 
not have a specific birth date. They think he's 50 or 51. Maybe he knows the truth, but he's not telling us. He's an American technologist, business executive, and author. And here's what's so noteworthy about Safi Bacall. His book is called Loon Shots. That's right, L-O-O-N Shots, not Moon, Loon Shots. How to Nurture the Crazy Ideas that Win Wars, Cure Diseases, and Transform Industries. Interestingly, in February of this year, Bacall published a Wall Street Journal op-ed in response to congressional hearings in the U.S. on the role of federal research and scientific innovation. And in 2008, many years ago, he was named Ernst & Young New England Biotech Pharmaceutical Entrepreneur of the Year. He was interviewed by Malcolm Gladwell for a New Yorker festival in 2012, and he worked in 2011 on President Obama's Council of Science Advisors on the future of U.S. science and tech research. Very, very interesting. He's a major presenter at conferences. Here's the quote. It's not a good idea if it hasn't been killed at least three times. <laughs> Alex Boulat, I love the quote. Alex, welcome to Game Changers. How, how are you? Yeah, it's very good. Very, very good. Thank you for having me. Delighted. Talk to me yeah, about this quote. How did you find this? Yeah, you know, I'm 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 a extreme nerd for for books. Like I love I love reading. I I I think I read uh, around seventy or eighty books a year. Uh, in that sense, I just love um, uh, ingesting this new knowledge. And uh, I, I'm the guy, you know, that that gets happy when he's in the car and uh, traffic gets stuck because then I can at least <laughs> you know listen to my book a bit longer, right? So that's the the crazy people in. Um, out there, you see I love it. The, I love it. I've never it. heard anybody say that, Alex. That's that's actually yeah. very interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So that that and uh, this is like this is his latest book. And and the funny thing, he's uh, he's a physicist. So both of his parents are theoretical physicists, and uh, uh, he's also a physicist. And he went into the medical profession, and um, and then he moved on to actually doing things uh, with a biotech. So he started his own biotech company because he thought he. He could solve these problems better than they've been solved now. And um, this quote, it actually also relates certainly to, to the things that David is saying. You know, um, there is nobody going to roll out the red carpet for, for crazy, cool new ideas. And um, he, he illustrates this um, with, a, with, a, uh, with a guy that actually invented the rocket propulsion engine. It's called Robert Gothard. And he, he was... Fully ridiculed. They actually in the New York Times when he, he said this, like jet propulsion engines, right? They said like the New York Times said, seems to lack the knowledge labeled out daily in high schools, right? So because they thought mm-hmm. like this guy is crazy in this sense. Um, and 14 years after the death, he was actually the founder of let's say when Apollo 11 actually uh, launched towards the moon. Uh, after the mm-hmm. death, uh, uh, the the New York Times actually said uh, uh, the Times regrets this error. Um, uh, the laws are actually different, right? So Ooh. this guy had a brilliant loon shot, and he got killed over it. He got ridiculed. Uh, he got yeah ab- abandoned by his peers, professors, and everything. So. 
Very interesting how that goes. Now, I'm very intrigued with if it hasn't been killed at least three times. Do you have any insight or, or your own interpretation of that, Alex, in terms of who were the three times who would kill it? Would it be a boss, a colleague? As you mentioned, he was ridiculed. Do you think he sat there and counted, okay, I've been ridiculed in this newspaper, I've been ridiculed in this scientific journal, I've been ridiculed in public at this major conference, and he said, okay, now I know it's a great idea. Do you think he actually counted them? I, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I, I, I I, I don't know. I, I, I think the theory is sound. He has uh, quite a lot of examples of his, uh, of these, uh, let's say he calls it the three deaths of loon shots. And um, so we are talking about Safi Bukal now. And he says, you know, you have to do something which is out there. And when you do something which is out there, you will get ridiculed by your peers because they don't understand it uh, or they don't want to understand it because it will impact them. You know, uh, probably authorities won't, let you do uh, something like that because when Uber launched, let's say, the taxi service, every country uh, in the world was like, okay, fine, let them come in. And when they saw what they are actually going to change, everybody stood up and said, no, no, this is not something that you want to do. And then you have to persevere, you know, to actually get this off the ground. I think that's a perseverance that goes back to the last word in the quote David sent us from Saputra, realization. A dream will not become an innovation yeah. if there is no realization. It ties in very nicely. You know, I have to tell our listeners that when my panelists send me their opening quotes, which we prefer to not be exactly on our topic, we want them to be inspirational, I don't think they sit together in a room and say, okay, let's find three great quotes that aren't on the topic. David, you'll take this one. Alex, you'll take this one. Brad, you'll take this one. We like it if it's independent. And very often we end up with the, the concept of great minds think alike, where there's always a thread or a word that ties together, and the quotes end up being very nicely complimentary to each other. Alex, pleasure to meet you. Thank you for joining me, and we will be back to you in a few minutes. And now let's go around the table one more slot to Brad Bork and my colleague at SAP. And Brad has sent us a quote from Sally Ride. Sally Kristen Ride, 1951 to 2012. She left us way too soon, died of pancreatic cancer in 2012. She was an American astronaut, physicist, and engineer. She joined NASA in 1978 and became the first American woman in space in 1983. She was the third woman in space overall after two Russian cosmonauts in 63 and 82. She remains the youngest American astronaut to have traveled to space, which she first did at age 32. Very, very interesting. Anybody wants to look her up? And, and Brad, I have to tell you, I'm a drummer now, and when I go out to open mics at, at taverns and clubs around the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area, my opening song I play with with a group of musicians is always Mustang Sally. And the last words of the refrain are ride, Sally, ride. And when I saw you picked a quote from Sally, ride, I said, this is wonderful. So here's the quote Brad has selected from Sally, ride. Listen up. Science is fun. Science is curiosity. We all have natural curiosity. Science is a prospect of investigating. It's posing questions and coming up with a method. It's delving in. Brad Borkin, welcome back. How are you? Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. I'm doing well. Thank you. Good, good. Talk to me about this quote. How did you find a quote from an astronaut for this show? Well, I was looking for something around curiosity because I think that that what drives ERP technology, what drives technology in general, what drives a lot of human behavior is curiosity. And so searching around for curiosity, I found this quote. And because I love science and 
and I just love the concept. And it's very similar in, in a way to, to Alice's quote and to, to David's quote as well, that it's all around this curiosity, coming up with ideas, coming up with, with um, big ideas and then executing on them. And, and certainly don't become a, an astronaut unless you're able to do that. Very well put. Brad, when I think of uh, the idea of science as a process of investigating, that's really the premise for this show, and I want to thank you for putting together a great topic and inviting David and Alex. And our topic is ERP and Beyond, From Technobuzz to Value-Add Solutions. And we're talking, while we're not talking specific branded solutions, we're talking about the idea of what is the myth, what is the fact, what is the buzz, what is the reality, not the fiction. So this quote is absolutely perfect. Thank you, Brad, and welcome back. And why don't you just briefly tell people what your book is about? You've written a book. I've interviewed you on my personal radio show about your book. Just tell people what your level of curiosity is about the world. Go ahead. Sure. Well, I'm happy to. I can talk for, for hours on end about, about, about my book. I wrote a book about the life and death decisions that the early Antarctic explorers made on the ice. And then in the book, we look at not just the decisions they made and all of the, the stories behind them, these incredible survival stories, but we look at what can we learn from this from modern-day decision-making. And that's looking at both from a personal decision-making point of view and from a business decision-making point of view. Thank you very much, Brad. Pleasure to have you on. And now let's circle back to David Lowson at Capgemini. And David, this is the part of the show where we get a little bit up close and personal with you. I'll ask you three questions and I'll pose the same three to Alex and then Brad. Number one is where in the world are you today? We just need a continent or a hemisphere or a, an ocean somewhere nearby. Number two, what's your favorite drink that powers you to be so smart at what you do? And number three, tell us about your role at Capgemini. David Lowson, you're up first. Okay, so uh, I'm sitting in a hotel room in Madrid. Uh, I flew here this morning. Uh, I'm here for a meeting of the uh, uh, the sales leadership of my company, and uh, we're going out for some uh, Spanish fun as soon as this is finished. So uh, that's the plan. We don't know what the fun is, but that's something to do. Uh, my favorite drink would be a cup of tea that's been made by somebody else for me. It has to be somebody else. I can't make myself a, myself a great cup of tea. It has to be somebody else makes it. And I love it. Probably when I wake up first thing in the morning or possibly after I've come in from a cold walk or a game of sports or something like that. And in terms of my role, I run the SAP COE. Uh, my job is to uh, you know, have a, a, a target of revenue and sales right across Europe across the 21 countries that we work in. Um, and um, half of that, at least half of that has to be in the new, so not legacy, but the new, the new models of delivery and the new technologies. So that's my role. Somebody. Thank you very much. And I have to ask you, David, if you could be a little more specific, what kind of tea is your favorite if you're having somebody do it for you, brew it for you? And it's the first time I've heard anybody admit that. What do you love? Uh, not, not normally fussy about tea, but Yorkshire tea I like. I'm particularly fond of that. Um, uh, English breakfast, nothing too fancy, but I, I love all the tea in the world, so that, that's where I'd start. Okay, um, I have to tell you, we had a, a, Brit, a Brit as a guest many, many years ago when I first started Game Changers Radio for SAP, David, and he went through a litany of exactly how you brew the perfect cup of British tea. He told us the, the millimeters of the thickness of the fine china cup and the exact temperature of the boiling water and what kind of pot to use to boil the water and how fast to pour the water and how fast to steep it. And when we, I asked 
him something about tea bags, he said, "Oh, that's just dust." <laughs> do, do you share the do you share the same idea that tea bags are just dusty? No, it's, it's, the tea is about the moment. It's about you know if you've been out for a cold walk and you're warming your hands and you pass a cup of tea, or if you've been to the football and come in and you get a cup of tea at half time, or after a game of rugby when you walk in the changing room and have a cup of tea, or when you wake up first thing in the morning and you feel a bit furry mouth and you get a cup of tea. It's about the moment. It's not about the actual tea and how it's made. Uh, that's what counts. Um, yeah, that's what feel, That's what tea, great tea feels like, a, a moment and a memory to me, not the taste I'll, of it or anything like that. I like that. I agree with you. I had a guest on my, my TV show about six months ago, and he runs a coffee roasting company, wholesale company here in North Carolina. And I asked him, what makes the best cup of coffee? And you know what he said, David? He said, it's the experience. People don't remember exactly what was in the cup, but they remember where they had it and who mm. they were with at the time. Coffee is an experience. And I think you just shared that same sentiment. Thank you, David. I appreciate that. Yeah. Alex, you're up next. Alex Boulat, where in the world are you today? What do you love to drink specifically, and what is your role at Capgemini? Yeah, so I'm um, I'm actually in Gothenburg in Sweden, and I'm sitting in a conference room in one of our offices. I flew here last night, late last night, and um, and I came from Zurich for my different customer. Um, and what I love to drink is actually um, Macallan whiskey. Uh, and and, mm-hmm. and and a specific one is the Sienna one, uh, which is the um, uh, which is the gold goldish type of whiskey, which is brewed on um, uh, or it sits on cherry barrels. Um, so that's it's quite quite specific, but the idea, you know, I love I love um, just whiskey like a small, and then to relax when I get home after um, let's say a week of travel, and uh, just put my feet up the couch and just. Uh, uh, sip this whiskey, but they now currently have a delivery problem of the cherry barrels because they are arguing with the Italians who are not willing to supply them anymore. So I'm, I'm a bit sad about that. I don't blame um, you. By the way, I looked it up, Alex, and I found a, a website called The Whiskey Wash, W-A-S-H.com, and they have a review of yeah. the Macallan Siena. The Macallan was founded in yeah. 1824 by Alexander Reed. Anybody want it? They keep wanting me to sign up for something, and I keep saying no. Um, Siena is here. Although you still find age statement whiskeys on the shelves of your local liquor store, the Macallan, like many other distinctive distilleries, has been moving in the direction of N.A. AS no age statement releases for some time now. Sienna is one such no age statement release, making use of the Macallan's curiously small and uniquely shaped copper stills. It belongs to the 1824 series of sherry matured releases, which takes its name from the year that Macallan was founded. Did you like that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's why I love them. Like they're quite small and uh, they have a specific way that they uh that they uh brew the whiskey and uh that's fun yeah fun thank you as i said thank I'm you a very much nerd for these kind of things i'm looking at the bottle it's it's absolutely beautiful and alex now tell us what you do so yeah i'm i, I run actually the innovation part uh with the, with david in the, in the, in europe and m- my job is actually to help our customers set up you know for for innovation and um to try and fail fast, as, as, you, as you said, and uh, really execute, right? It's not about anymore about dreaming, but really execute on the ideas and the things that you want to uh, uh, achieve in the company. 
Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you, Alex, and thank you for the referral to McAllen Siena. I'll have to take a peek at that. I'm not a whiskey drinker, but maybe yeah. I know people could make a good gift at the end of the year. i got to find a good whiskey drinker to give it to, and they'll say, Bonnie, where did you find this great whiskey? And I'll say, well, my good friend Alex Bulata Capgem, and I recommended it. So there you go. Thank you, Alex. Brad Borkin, you're up next. Where are you today? I think I have an idea. And Brad, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? And what's your current role at SAP? Go ahead, Brad. Okay, great. Well, actually, um, I'm calling from London. So it's quite a multinational, multi-European uh, panel we have here today. Yep. The, my, my favorite drink is actually relates back to my book because my book is the title of my book is actually called When Your Life Depends on It. Extreme Decision-Making Lessons from the Antarctic. And my favorite drink is something called Shackleton Whiskey. Mm-hmm. Because the, Shackleton's expedition, his first expedition, was called the Nimrod Expedition back in 1907. And when they were excavating the huts and trying to preserve the huts, which are still in Antarctica today, the wooden structures, underneath one of the huts, they found a case of whiskey that was specially blended for his expedition. And it was blended by McKay's in Scotland. So they took one of these bottles and they sent it back to McKay's in Scotland. And, and their master uh, distiller actually created, recreated the, the blend exactly as it is. And now you can buy it in just regular stores. And it's called Shackleton Whiskey. Okay. So like Alex, it's always nice to end a day or end a week with uh, a nice glass of, of whiskey. And what do you and, do these days, Brad? Well, you know, you're very busy at SAP. What's your role? So I work for the strategic partner marketing team, the global team, and we look after strategic partners, the biggest of the big partners for SAP, trying to get them to do more marketing with SAP uh, and build joint solutions and things like that, and working with partners like Capgemini, which Alex and David work for. Okay, and I have to tell you that I went to theshackletonwhiskey.com, Brad, and their hashtag is open for adventure. I know you can appreciate that. <laughs> Discover a whiskey That's for great. those who aren't afraid to go their own way. And I had to actually tell them what country I'm from. And I had to tell them the year of my birth in order to get into their website. I thought that was interesting. So thank you very much for that, Brad. Appreciate that. And uh, David and Alex don't know me well. Brad does. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. Moved here a year and a half ago after 32 years on Long Island, New York, where I was born. Uh, No, I'm not 32, but I've been living around the country, and I landed in Long Island the last 32 years. Our weather here is beautiful. We are in the mid-70s. I think we're past the frost. But if you look on the news today all over the world, you will see that we are in the middle of our season of green dust. It's a special kind of pollen that coats everything. If you look outside and your car is not garaged, your car is covered in green dust. Your porch is covered in green dust. Your garden is covered in green dust. It lasts about a week. I experienced it for the first time last year, my first spring here, and it's very interesting. And people who are new to North Carolina look outside and panic and call their neighbors and friends and say, what the blank is going on here? Why is everything covered with green dust? It's the pollen. It actually made a major news headline on CNN today. It's something with climate. I don't want to go there. Anyway, I am drinking cool, clear water because, David and Alex, I'm not allowed to have caffeinated beverages 
days on radio show days, and I think you know why. So I'm here in Durham, North Carolina, speaking with our global panel, David Lowson and Alex Bulat, both from Capgemini and Brad Borkin at SAP, calling from all over the world. And I have to do a shout-out to our global listeners. You have made this show so popular over the last eight years. We have tens of thousands of you listening every single month, and that's pretty good for a business show. Today we're talking about ERP and beyond, from Technobuzz and Myth to Value-Add Solutions and Facts. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be right back in 90 seconds. Aaron, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at Voice AM Business. Again, that's at Voice AM Business. And stay current. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand, all from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Welcome back. We're speaking today with David Lowson and Alex Boulat at Capgemini and Brad Borkin at SAP. Our topic is let's learn all about ERP and beyond from Technobuzz, moving over to the concept of real value-added solutions. We're going to kick off the roundtable with a statement Mr. David Lowson sent me before the show, and I'm going to read it, and then David will expand it. Then we'll invite Alex and Brad to chime in and get their point of view. So here's what David told me. The system of record, ERP solutions, are undergoing a bigger change than the move to client-server back in the early 1990s. The systems have moved to the cloud and to in-memory. Keeping the ERP core standard and not bespoke is the new mantra. David Lowson, can you please unpack this for us? Tell us what it all means. Okay, um, please. could probably talk about this for an hour, for two minutes or something. Um, (laughs) I'm fortunate enough to have been working with... um, uh, systems record ERP for 
30 years, which is amazing. Uh, I kind of think about it. Um, <laughs> and when we were first putting in it, it was running on mainframes and AS400. And uh, the way it was written and the way it was designed was pretty much to make it allow it to run on mainframes. You know, the tables and the complexity and the way it was set up. I was really on the batch jobs and the, the different parts of it were really set up to our mainframes. And then um, a lot of components were added to it around the edges, but they were they were they they they, they were integrated to it, uh, and they were interfaces. So CRM products or promise, uh, available to promise promise products or uh, planning or data warehouses. Um, they were all added to it, and you know that journey's taken us from you know the late eighties right up to two thousand and the late two thousands. Uh, and what had been built is a, a solution that run on premise by and large. It was written originally for mainframe and actually hadn't turned changed very much. It was um, it, it was not running in memory. It was lots of different components bolted together to provide a, a, a solution to clients. Um, and, and really, it had become a, a set of solutions that constrained the way that businesses run and. The products were written in, uh, you know, before the internet. Uh, so, uh, you know, they didn't cope with digital business. They didn't cope with a batch of one. They didn't cope with personalization. Everything was, uh, you know, they, they, these things were put in 25 years ago. Um, and it's only in the last few years, and, uh, you know, somebody who's been thinking about this for a while, that, 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 that it actually took the great big leap forward. So suddenly these, these solutions have been rewritten. They've been rewritten in memory. They're running in the cloud. Uh, they've got the actual personalization part of it done, being done in platforms outside of it. They're open, so you can use microservices and APIs to work with them. Um, and it's actually opened up the entire world very quickly. Perhaps a lot of the clients and perhaps even the software vendors aren't actually being so explicit about what, what's actually happened because, it, you know, to, to talk about it changing that much, we've kind of said the old product wasn't as great as, it, as everybody as they were saying. But I believe... The change that we've seen in the last two years was bigger when I, than when I start, stopped working on great big mainframes in the early 90s and moved to client server because I don't really recognize the transaction codes and the way the tables are set up and everything like that and new, new products where I used to. I just think this is huge and a huge opportunity for clients and a huge opportunity for customers, companies like us, uh, to really get some advantages out of it. So I think that's what I would say. Thank you very, very much, David. Beautifully done. I love the fact that you you gave us a historical look back that were written before the Internet, before the cloud, before personalization. I'm all choked up. I'm going to take a sip of water. Alex Boulat, join us, please. Thoughts? Agree or disagree? Uh, no, I, I definitely I agree on this one. Uh, it's uh, it's, uh, it's totally different. I know when the first time um, I actually interacted with this system is uh, is around 10 years ago. And when I when I saw it, I, I really thought I was back in 1950s or something. I've, I've never experienced the 1950s, but that was my feeling. It looks so old, and you know, I already had a smartphone, right? And then I came to work, and then I had a system in front of me which was which was looking so old that um, it scared me a bit. And if you look at the, the current systems now, it's it's totally different. The possibilities are uh, um, really really fast, uh, but if you look at the preparation that uh, the companies need to do and where they have to come from, it's huge. They, they just can't, uh, uh, let's say, leap this gap now currently. 
Thank you very much. Brad, join us on this. I, I love this reality check here. We're talking about myth versus fact and fiction, and uh, th- this is a reality check that there was something. Re- I'll, I'll share all with you a story in a minute. But, Brad, what are your thoughts on what we're talking about here? Well, I'm probably probably the same age as, as David. I remember these systems from way back when, and the rate of change that we're seeing now is astronomical compared to the rate of change we saw back in the uh, 90s and, and 2000, I think, around these ERP systems. And I think that's, that's, what, that's what's really exciting about ERP. And I think that's why, also why I chose my quote from Sally Ride, that quote around curiosity, that you're looking at these systems today and saying, what's possible now? Because I think before, in the 90s and 2000, that era, companies were very constrained with these ERP systems. And now, putting them onto open platforms, putting them onto on cloud, putting them into into different ways of, of looking at things, and all the different new technologies you can add to them, it's it's incredibly exciting. And I think it's exciting for the customers, for the companies in these various industries. Just the the, the they can they can be just incredibly uh, open minded about what's possible, and then those can be built by by organizations themselves or or partner companies for them. Thank you, Brad. David, this was your topic. Anything you want to wrap up on what your two co-panelists just shared with us on ERP history, basically? I think we're we're all aligned. Um, I I think the the, the change happening now, uh, I I don't really think the, the products could support fast, modern, digital business until the last few years. Before that, we used to try and talk about it. We used to try and sell it, like you were saying about myths. You know, often I used to say, you'll be able to do all this. Nobody ever achieved it because the solutions were just not fast enough and not flexible enough. Now we have that capability um, to do that. Thank you very much. I want to move on to something. Oh, the story I was going to tell you, Brad was mentioning he thinks he's about the same age as David. We won't talk about age, gentlemen, even though the uh, the site I went to, Shackleton Whiskey, asked me for my birthday, and Brad, I did not lie. I gave them the real year. However, uh, David, this is for you. I, I hark back to entering the world of IT as a programmer analyst on the West Coast in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon. I was transported out there many years ago for a couple of years, and I was was in the era where I was standing up on a step stool to load a disk pack into the drive on a Xerox Sigma 6 CP5, and I was coding in COBOL. <laughs> I don't know if you remember back that far. We're talking the late 70s, key punching, carrying around mm. boxes of cars. Do you remember those days, David, or did you hear about them? No, I was, I was but a child. Um, but a child. <laughs> I was a machine disappeared from the office the day I arrived pretty well. So that, 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 that dates me, I think. I see. Well, I just dated, I just committed the dating there. And then I eventually moved to an IBM 4341 coding in PL1 doing statewide community, uh, statewide school system coding actually for the secondary schools in the state of Oregon. But I, I remember way back in the day when things were pretty primitive and back when, yes, systems were old, Alex, and it did probably would scare people to see what we were doing back in the day to 
make the wheels turn. Alex, I'm looking at your notes here, and let's talk about your third statement. You say, open innovation is now a reality. Innovation used to be a very secretive process within organizations done by the R&D department behind closed doors. And now it's more collaborative problem solving, and I guess the doors are open. So you want to talk about this innovation spirit, this collaboration in moving ERP systems ahead and, and some reality checks, Alex? Please talk to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like um, we, we've been we've been doing innovations behind closed doors and constantly, really, really doing it. But if you look at the last ten years, um, you see uh, things popping up. Like I, I, the example I gave was more or less on on Kaggle, and Kaggle is an um, let's say shared AI platform where companies can post their problems, and mm. um, uh, uh, people just try to solve them. And the one that wins gets a prize or a job or whatever. Like so. These kinds of um, uh, platforms are already emerging, so uh, you have the ability to, yeah, leverage the mind of the entire world, right, uh, instead of just your own R&D department that is, like, trying to figure out a certain problem. And I think this is really accelerating uh, it, it, the pace that we are moving these different um, uh, systems to, to the new because the mindset is still very constrained in, in, in old thinking and old architectures and old uh, ways of uh, perceiving the world. But a lot of companies now have new different business models, which are, let's say, service models um, uh, that they really reach out directly to a customer when, when they first had, let's say, f- seven layers between them and the customer before they sold their product, right? This is totally different. So. And and the way to solve this is uh, is a difficult process for for the bigger ones, and um, they now try to solve it by opening um, their let's say opening their box of problems and say, guys, look, these are the problems we have. Can you help us solve it? And there is a lot of nerds out there like me who think, ah, oh, that's cool. Let me let me see what I can do about this. And uh, so that that's the idea. Thank you. I want to read a little background here. I've never heard of Kaggle. Let me, with your uh, with your permission, Alex, I'm going to read a little background of here. Course. Kaggle is, thank you, K-A-G-G-L-E, an online community of data scientists and machine learners owned by Google. Kaggle allows users to find and publish data sets, explore and build models in a web-based data science environment, work with other data scientists and machine learning engineers, and enter competitions to solve data science challenges. It got its start by offering machine learning competitions and now offers a public data platform, a cloud-based workbench for data science, and short-form AI education. In March of 2017, Google announced they were acquiring Kaggle, and as of June 2017, it passed 1 million registered users who are known as Kaglers, not keg. Kaglers are people who drink a lot of beer. Kaglers, K-A-G-G-L-E-R-S. It spans 194 countries. It's the largest and most diverse data community in the world, going from just start-out people to the best-known researchers, and the competitions attract over a 1,000 teams and individuals. This is fascinating. Thank you, Alex. I want to move over around the table to Brad. Brad, thoughts about, you're talking about curiosity. Looks like Kaggle may be that gathering place. So, Brad, talk to me about what Alex just shared about open innovation, please. Well, yeah, this is a great example of, of what is possible today. And I think this is where you look at, at like, like Alex's quote was saying, Alex's statement was saying, it used to be R&D departments did things 
and they were pretty secretive in what they were doing, and they just assumed everyone else in the company didn't understand it or weren't interested until they had a finished output. Where now everyone can be collaborative, and I think this is this is what's what's really opened up business and has propelled organizations globally around the world. I mean, they enabled companies to branch out into different different things, create better consumer experiences, create uh, environments for their for their employees, you know, systems for their employees to use. So just just incredibly innovative, and and for me, I I, you know, I just see this this world of possibility where. It, I remember back in the days where paying something for, with a credit card was an incredibly long transaction. It was like you'd take like a minute from the process. They had to take this piece of paper and sort of scan, swipe this uh, physical con- you know, mechanism across the credit card with a piece of paper. And, and now, like certainly in the UK, we have this, uh, this system where all you have to do is tap your credit card onto a device. And it just instantly charges charges you for the purchase, and it's, it's so instantaneous. It's just remarkable that companies can be looking at these sorts of challenges and saying, "How do we how do we streamline these processes for our customers and make it so that the purchasing process is easier, or the or the way we get goods to, the, to our customers is, is easier?" And just just remarkable how things have changed in the last few years. Thank you, Brad. David Lawson, join us. Thoughts about Kaggle or anything similar in terms of open innovation uh, and the reality? Uh, uh, clearly, uh, you know, I've been thinking innovation is important um, I, I, I'm, for a while. Um, trying to think, well, it always has been, but why more so now and the why? And I'm trying to work out why it's so important and why it's increasingly important. I think, first of all, these, these solutions now are touching a, a wide range of people, not, not just in internal stuff but external stuff, vendors, piece of equipment, uh, uh, customers, uh, partners, all all sorts of stuff. So they're reaching into areas that that change a lot quicker and far quicker than you can actually, um, you know, these areas change far faster than you can write a design for and say in 12 months time we'll have this thing ready that will need this demand. Things are changing faster than that. And and it's not the, the core product providers that are actually doing the innovation now. It's the people who um, make the cars or make the wind farms or provide whatever it is, or provide the utility billing solution or whatever it is. You've got to get the innovation in from outside and then attach to it rather than try and build the innovation and think what the innovation is going to be. You've just got to face up the fact you're not going to be able to have the innovation and you're not going to be able to plan what it's going to be in a few years. You'll get it from other people. If you take something like, you know, we've been working with quite a few car vendors recently and you know, the, the, actually knowing what's going to happen to the car market in six months, a year, two years, three years, it's almost impossible, you know. And so you just have to open yourself up to innovation, expect it to come from other people and adapt to it, not or, or, or welcome it, not just try and plan things yourself and try and write a, a nice thing, well, we'll build this and it'll be okay in 12 years. It probably won't be. Things will have changed too much. Uh, the last load of ERP, last 25 years, and it held people back. The new lot has to be very, very quick, very, very open to innovation. Thank you very much. Brad, That's we it. have just just enough time before we go. And David and Alex, I want you to think about your predictions. We're just about in the part of the show called the Crystal Ball Prediction Round. Brad, I just want to pull up a very specific comment here from your notes you sent me before the show. And have you spent just a minute talking about it You say 70% of companies 
transformation. So it's not surprising that ERP remains one of the most important technologies for businesses to have at their disposal. Brad, can you just give us uh, 60 seconds of a comment on that? Sure. Uh, well, I Do we have Brad? When we look at... Go ahead. Can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, well, when, when we look at, at, at yes, I can. technology, um, when we look at the technology, we can think in terms of, of saying, well, gee, the exciting areas are IoT or machine learning or some of these, these new, new areas, but ERP itself has a lot of value. And I think this is where, where the exciting connection is, is around both e- ERP as it used to exist and the whole purpose for ERP and then what happens as, as it becomes uh, broader, viewed more broadly across organizations and in organizations. Thank you very much, Brad. I'm going to move around to David. David, we're ready for your prediction. I can give you each 60 seconds. Let's see how much time we can actually use rather than running the clock. Let's take each 60 seconds. David Lawson at Capgemini first, then Alex Bulat at Capgemini, and then Brad Borkin. Love to know what you think will happen. Let's say between now and 2025, you can tell me a specific date or just keep it open. What will change if we were to meet again and talk about ERP and beyond? David Lawson, you're up. I think people are going to stop talking so much about detailed designs and processes and uh, endless as is to be and, 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 and planning. I think they're going to start talking about a flexible and open architecture you know, adapt to whatever is thrown at it rather than trying to design every nth detail of everything they're doing. They're just going to allow things to grow and change organically. They're going to be able to do things quickly and fail quickly. Um, but it's the people within architecture and the right processes to make sure they don't damage that and ruin its integrity that will really succeed. That, that's my prediction rather than the people who've got the most heavily enforced process model. Thank you very much, David Lawson. Alex Boulat, you're up next. What do you see in the crystal ball at Capgemini or from your expertise or both? Uh, I think I think uh, the most powerful thing is that um, now we as um, as the consumers have let's say the power uh, in our pockets, which is uh, which is the smartphone. Um, uh, however, it may evolve in in the in the future, but uh, we will we will start running the companies instead of the companies, you know, uh, telling us what we. Uh, what we want and need to buy, um, uh, we are going to tell them what we want and need to buy and how do we want to deliver and everything, right? So this is going to be a very powerful switch, which is still uh, not happened yet, but it will come. Thank you very much, Alex. Brad Borkin, you've got the last, Brad. They were so concise. I have an extra 30 seconds for you. So I'm going to give you 90 seconds for your prediction. Brad, go ahead. Okay, great. The, for me, the, the, if you look out four years from now, three, four, five years from now, I think, I think the exciting parts for me are, are how machine learning and blockchain and 3D printing and all of these new technologies integrate to everything else and, and how they get used, how robotic processes and, and robots, you know, software-based robots uh, are used by, by organizations and, and all of that to make people's lives better to make employees' lives better, to make consumers' lives better. 
Thank you, Brad. I have a bonus question for the three of you. I don't usually ask questions, but I'm going to use the last 60 seconds before I have to close the show. David Lowson, you're up first. ERP, will we, in 10 years from now, let's say 2025, which is not that far off, will we still be calling it ERP or will it be called the David Lowson uh, syndrome or effect or function or something? What will, will it change? Is ERP just going to be with us forever? Those three letters. David, quickly, yes or no, and if not, what? Uh, no, it's going to be the platform. Okay. There you go. Alex Boulat, ERP, ERP staying with us, the same three letters, or what are we going to say? No, it's going to be a platform. I agree with David. Okay. Brad Borkin, agree or disagree? What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree as well. I think ERP will, the, the letters will disappear. The, the concepts are, are going to morph and change and evolve from that. Okay. Will it be the Borkin platform, the Lowson platform, or the Bulat platform? We need a name for it, guys. We can't just call it the platform. (laughs) Will it be all three? The Lowson, Bulat, Borkin? It'll it'll be called LBB? LBB? That's it. (laughs) Thank you very much. I've got to close out. Thank you very much to all of you and to Aaron Keller, our engineer extraordinaire, always at World Talk Radio on the Business Channel for getting us on the show and keeping us there. I'm going to say my call to action is whatever you're driving, walking, running, it's time. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like the very, very smart David Lowson at Capgemini and his very, very smart colleague Alex Bulat at Capgemini and my very, very smart colleague Brad Borkin at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have an absolutely great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.